Gratitude doesn't come naturally. It's supernatural, but possible. This is the second message in the series, Raising Resilience. The message is entitled, Think Thanks. Here is Pastor Dale O'Shields. Last weekend, I began a new series of messages entitled Building or Establishing or Raising Resilient Kids and Adults. We're talking about the concept of resiliency in the lives of adults and children. No matter what age you are as an adult, young adult, and older adult, wherever you may be in your life in adulthood, you and I, we all have a responsibility to the next generation. We have a responsibility to those coming behind us. And whether you're a father, a mother, an uncle, an aunt, uh, a grandparent, you have a responsibility to help the next generation be successful. And they cannot be successful unless we are successful in our spiritual journey as well. And so therefore, the title of this message, Raising Resilient Kids and Adults. If you're not resilient, it's hard to help your children learn this very important trait in their life. What is resilience? I've given you the definition last weekend. Let me bring it back to your attention again this weekend. Resilience is the ability to withstand the pressures of life in your spirit, in your soul, in your body, to withstand life's pressures without being damaged by the pressures of life or being deformed by the pressures of life. It's the ability to bounce back from adversity and bounce back from setbacks and to deal with challenges that come your way. And I talked last weekend about the fact that being a parent is not about preparing the road of life for your child. It's all about preparing your child for the road of life, building into them everything that they will need to be successful. And I use the analogy of basketball. And this basketball has the capacity to bounce back, that when you put it against pressure, it comes right back. It can't be kept down. We want children, we want adults and children who have the ability to go with the flow of life and to be able to bounce back from any kind of pressure that comes their way. The reason this basketball has resiliency is because of its shape. It's shaped the right way, and it has the right amount of the right stuff on the inside, the right air pressure inside. If you reduce the air pressure on the inside of this basketball, it's not going to do what it's doing right now. It's not going to bounce back. It's going to bounce flat. And so it needs to be shaped the right way, and it needs to have the right amount of the right stuff internally. We talked about the value being shaped in the image of Jesus. Now, it's very important that we become more resilient when we become more like Jesus Christ and to help our children to be shaped in the image of Jesus and to make sure the right ingredients are put on the inside because resilience is not something that happens on the outside. Resilience is something that happens from the inside out. And I want to talk today about one of those ingredients that goes inside the basketball of your life, we might say, to use that analogy, inside of your life and inside of your children's lives to make them very resilient in life. I want to talk to you for a few moments today about the principle, the ingredient of gratitude. When we talk about gratitude, there are many examples of it in Scripture, uh, immediately when I think of gratitude, my mind goes to uh, a man by the name of the Apostle Paul. Paul faced a lot of difficulties in his life. He was often persecuted for his faith. He found himself oftentimes in prison for preaching the gospel. But even in the midst of all these difficulties that he went through, he bounced back. In fact, even there are times he's in prison and he writes letters to other Christians encouraging them in the midst of the most difficult circumstances in his own life. 
And Paul believed in the power of gratitude and how gratitude produced resilience inside of him. And he believed in it so much that he reminded us of a very important commandment that we're to live by as well. He lived by it, and we are to live by it also and to teach it to our children. First Thessalonians chapter 5, verse 18. Here's the principle. Give thanks in all circumstances, for this is God's will for you in Christ Jesus. If you want to be in the will of God, you must learn to do what? Give thanks, but it's not just give thanks occasionally or for the things that are going well in your life. It's to give thanks in all circumstances. There's the key. So Paul says, I've learned in my life. He talks about later, uh, I've learned to be content. I've learned how to deal with the adversities, to have plenty, to have lack in my life. Why? Because he was a person who gave thanks. It's a calling and a commandment for us as well. In the book of Ephesians, chapter 5, verse 20, he repeats a similar commandment for us. Always doing what? Say it with me. Always giving thanks to God the Father for The things that go well? No. Always giving thanks to God the Father for everything in the name of our Lord Jesus Christ. The principle is repeated again. He's talking to us about this ingredient that needs to go on the inside of the basketball, we might say, of our lives to build it into our children. It is the attitude of gratitude in all situations. Jesus himself demonstrated this. You might recall a time in Jesus' life and ministry when he'd been preaching, and he had a whole bunch of people there with him, 5,000 men, the Bible says, plus the women and the children that were in the crowd. So it could have been maybe 15, 20,000 people. We don't know exactly how many were there, but Jesus finishes his preaching, looks at the crowd, realizes that they're hungry, they need something to eat, and so he makes the, the, the appeal to his disciples, find something to feed all of these people. Well, the disciples think he's crazy. What do you mean? Find something to feed. There's 5,000 men plus the women and children. How do you expect us to feed everybody? And nevertheless, Jesus encouraged them, go look and see what you can find. And they came back. You remember the story. They found a little boy who had a lunch, and he had five loaves and two fish. And they brought five little pieces of fish and two little pieces of bread, and they brought them to Jesus. Now, in that situation, stay with me on this because here's the situation. You've got as many as 20,000 people to feed. You've got five little pieces of bread and two little fish. That seems like total inadequacy for the need. Would you agree with me? And you, you could have easily said, what do you expect me to do? You should have found more than this. Why is there not more here? He could have been very ungrateful. But I want you to see what Jesus does in John chapter 6. Jesus then took the loaves, those five loaves, and what did he do next? What did he do? He gave thanks. This little bit that he had, he still thanked God for it. All he had was five loaves, and he thanked God for the five loaves and distributed to those who were seated as much as they wanted. He did the same with the fish. What does it mean he did the same? What did he do? He gave thanks. Two fish. He gave thanks for the fish as well. Even though it seemed to be inadequate to the circumstance, he gave thanks for it. And out of this thanksgiving came a miracle. I will tell you that many times in life, your miracle is waiting for your gratitude on the front end, not the back end, the front end. That you start thanking God 
before you see the answer. Jesus was thanking the Father for being the one that would bring provision. He had the attitude of gratitude, and that gave him the ability to be resilient in the face of an impossible situation. He saw a resource when everybody else only saw a need. He gave thanks for what he had rather than for what he didn't have. There was no grumbling in Jesus. There was only gratitude in him. I want to talk to us today about how we develop this attitude of giving thanks. How do we think thanks? How do we, in everything, give thanks? Being in the will of God. How do we do like Jesus? When it seems as though life is giving us very little, how do we maintain gratitude and allow that little to be everything that we need in the midst of a grateful heart? Three things that we want to look at for the next few moments together that will help us in this process. Number one. You and I need to remember that we as human beings are wired for the negative. Wiring is important. Your brain is a, is a function of wiring. Neurons in your brain wires, wire together based upon thought processes. And when it comes to developing a spirit of gratitude, you have to understand that we as human beings, we are wired by sin, by sinful nature. We are wired by negative, painful life events, hurtful things that have happened to us. We are wired by a basic survival instinct uh, toward the negative. You have a tendency, as do I, to lean toward the negative rather than toward the positive. Whether you realize it or not, you are consistently looking for and seeing bad over good. Inside your brain, your brain is an interesting organ of your body. It's an amazing organ of the body. And uh, there's a limbic system in your brain, and right in the middle of that limbic system is something called the amygdala. And the amygdala is a little almond-shaped thing in the middle of your brain. And part of the function of the amygdala, it's not the only function, but part of the function of the amygdala in your brain is to always be looking for threats around you, always be looking for what might could be damaging or dangerous to you. And so you're living with this orientation. In fact, according to some researchers, about two-thirds of the neurons in your amygdala are always looking for the negative. Only one-third of that little, that little part of your brain and that system in your brain is looking for the positive. Two-thirds are always on the look for something dangerous. Now, if there's a bear coming your way, it probably is a good thing to have an overactive amygdala. Okay. If you got a tiger that's about to destroy you, it's probably a good thing that your amygdala is going toward the negative. It's going to make you run. But it's not so good when it comes to relationships. It's not so good when it comes to the interactions of life. What happens is it puts us in this wiring toward the negative. I told you a few weeks ago, or months ago, I should say now, I, when I was teaching a message on our thought processes, I talked about the fact that according to certain researchers, about 80% of our thinking is negative in nature, 80%. It's called the negativity bias, and everybody has it. It's a legacy of a sinful, broken world that we live in. It's a legacy of basic instincts that we have for survival, and it's just, as it has been said, your brain has Velcro for the negative and Teflon for the positive. If you don't know the difference between Velcro and Teflon, one grabs and holds onto and Teflon shields away. And so our brain, like Velcro, grabs the negative and then tends to shield away what is positive in life. Now let's add to it the spiritual dimension. Not only are we wired that way, but there is a devil who's active in our world, active in attacks against us, and the devil traffics, traffics in negative. 
the devil will never give you good news. Let me say that again. The never, devil never comes around and says, hey, I got some good news for you today. Everything the devil is going to say to you is always going to, to, to feed into fear and feed into worry and feed into negativity and feed into grumbling and complaining in your life. Why? Because he traffics in the negative. He traffics in the, that sort of that, that addiction too. He wants you to be addicted to everything that could be wrong and bad in your life. Why? Because it moves you out of an atmosphere of gratitude, an atmosphere of praise. That's why we're told over and over again in Scripture that we have a battle that's going on in all of us, and the battleground is in our brain, in our mind. We have to take captive our thoughts. Take a look at what Paul says very clearly in 2 Corinthians chapter 10, verse 5. He says, we demolish arguments and every pretension that sets itself up against the knowledge of God, and we take captive every thought to make it obedient to Christ, to make sure that we're living in the good news rather than the bad news because Christ came and preached the gospel, and the word gospel means good news. In Ephesians chapter 6, Paul continues this same kind of orientation, this mindset, this reminder, we might say, of the battle we have in our brains. And he says, take the helmet of salvation and the sword of the Spirit, which is the Word of God. He's talking about the armor of God that you need and protection against the attacks of the enemy, the spiritual enemy of your life. And he says, make sure you take the helmet of salvation. Where do you wear a helmet? You wear a helmet on your head where your brain is, where your thinking is. We're wired by sin and by life circumstances and by the influence of darkness. We are wired for negativity. We are wired for a negativity bias in life. It is much easier to think of our disadvantages than it is for us to think of our advantages. It's much easier for us to think of what we lack in life rather than what we have in life. It's very easy for us to think what we're missing rather than what's been provided for us. It takes practically no effort at all to be negative. Almost no effort at all to be negative. And sadly, we oftentimes don't realize how much that negativity, that wiring is costing us. One author, as I was reading and preparing for this message, stated it this way. He said that ingratitude, this negative complaining, negativity in our life, is one of the fastest ways for you to destroy your own brain cells. I don't know if that's true or not, but I thought it was pretty powerful. That negativity is one of the fastest ways for you to destroy the brain cells. And I tell you what, I don't have any brain cells to spare. How about you, okay? I need to hold on to every one of the ones that I have, right? And so I don't want to be missing any. I don't want to be killing my brain cells. And so I, I want to learn something about how to be on the right side of this equation. So the first thing is to understand that we are wired by nature and wired by the adversary for the negative. Here's our second principle today. Number two. The mouth speaks what the mind thinks. While gratitude starts with thinking, or ingratitude also starts with thinking, it goes beyond thinking to speaking. I'll give you another word here on the board. You may want to say it with me. It's a very important word. What is that word? Loops. What is a loop? A loop is a closed circuit that repeats and feeds itself. That's all a loop is. A closed circuit that repeats and feeds itself. This is how gratitude or ingratitude works. It works in a loop. 
Because what we think, we say. And what we say, we hear. And what we hear is reinforced. Let's go back again and review that. What we think, we say. Anytime you think something, the only way you know what you thought is it somehow gets translated into words. That's how you know what you thought. And so a word, it may be only words that you say to yourself. That's called self-talk that you have. And all of us are pretty good at talking to ourselves. Do you have conversations with yourself from time to time? Of course you do. And so whatever you think, it turns into a thought that you say to yourself or to someone else. And when you say it to yourself or to someone else, you hear what you just said. And if it was a negative thought and now you've spoken a negative word to yourself or to someone else, now you've heard yourself say what you just said negative and it feeds right back into your thinking again. So there's this loop that goes round and around and around and it loops us into a negativity cycle of life. Let me give you a diagram. These are not on your notes, but perhaps this will help you. We have negative thoughts. Negative thoughts produce negative words, either to other people or self-talk. Negative words. Negative words create more reinforced negative thoughts. So the more you say negative things to yourself or the more you say negative things to others, all you're doing is reinforcing more of those negative thoughts because you're hearing yourself say those things and it's feeding right back into the system and that produces an habitual negative speech. So you begin pretty much everything you say. If you monitored your self-talk, it's pretty much negative most of the time, perhaps even more than 80% of the time. And then that produces this habitual negative mindset, and the loop just goes on and on and on. This is where many of us are trapped right now. We're trapped in a negative set of thinking patterns that are producing negative words, that are continually reinforcing, reinforcing those thoughts, that are creating more negative speech, that are putting us in a consistent, habitual negative mindset. And I will tell you what happens when that process happens in your life that I've just described here. It's like taking pins or taking a knife and putting it into this basketball, okay? And whenever you put a pin or multiple pins or knives into this basketball, no matter how small they are, what happens to the air on the inside? See, negative thinking does that to you. It drains all the air. And so you start wondering, why am I not bouncing back? Why are my kids not bouncing back? Because you've created a negativity loop in your life, and you're losing resiliency. That's why positive approaches to living and faith and gratitude, these are extremely valuable things to you and me. Why? Because what you, what you think you end up speaking, you end up saying. It's part of our life. Here's another thing I want to remind you of. These loops get passed on to people around you. They don't stay with you. Research has proven that negativity spreads faster than positivity. Let me let that sit there for a moment. Negativity spreads faster than positivity. In fact, in relationships, it's been proven that for every negative word, let's say in a marriage relationship, for every negative word you speak to your spouse, every condemning or destructive word you speak to your spouse, you're going to need about 10 positive words to make up for one negative word. About 10 positive words to make up for every one negative word that you speak. That means that, hey, I spoke something negative. I got, I've got to speak 10 positive things just to get back to zero. 
I haven't made any ground then. I just, I just made up for what I messed up. Okay. And so this is important to realize. You've got to understand that our mind goes in this direction. I'll give you an example. It, it, uh, it, every weekend, at the end of every service, I go to the back door and I shake hands with people as they're going out of the door. And oftentimes people will come through. Hey, thank you, pastor. Great message. Thank you, pastor. Great message. Thank you, pastor. Great message. Then one person comes along says, I really didn't understand that message. That didn't make any sense to me at all. Okay. <laughs> Spiritual knuckleheads. Okay. <laughs> and I go home, and what do you think I think about? <laughs> it's like I totally forget about the hundred people that came through and said what a great message it was. And I think about that one comment that that person, I'm spending all Sunday night Trying to fit. What did I say? How did I? I it, it just troubles me. Why? Because we're wired toward the negative, and a negative thought. I speak it over. It begins a pattern in me, and before long, I'm losing sleep over one person. Okay, one person. You do the same thing. A thousand people could say to you, "How wonderful, ladies! How beautiful you look today," and one person could say, "Why did you wear that dress?" And before long, what's the focus on that one thing? It happens to all of us. So we have to understand that our words are linked to our thinking and our thinking are linked to our words and it affects our homes. In fact, I would say it this way. There are many homes today that are actual disaster zones because of this process right now. They're disaster zones because people are bombarding one another with negative thoughts and negative words. And the whole atmosphere. See, if, you, if 80% of your thought processes are negative, what do you think 80% of your words are going to be? Negative. And you can give your kids the greatest education. You can send them to Harvard or Yale or wherever you want to send them and give them the greatest education in the world. You can provide them the greatest extracurricular activities. You can put them in the most perfect, greatest church in the world. But I promise you, you will undermine almost all of that if you have this kind of stuff going on in your family. Why? Because you're draining away the very thing that gives a child the ability to be prepared for the road that God is calling them to in life. That is not preparing the road for the child, but preparing the child for the road that they will move down. The mouth speaks what the mind thinks. Here's our third final point today. Gratitude takes what? practice. Gratitude isn't a few words that you speak from time to time when you feel like it. No, real gratitude is a way of life. It's a way of thinking. It's a way of speaking. It's a change in your life not based upon emotions. Gratitude is not a feeling. You may feel grateful at times. It can be expressed in feeling, but generally that feeling of gratitude is actually more of a secondary feeling. It's more joy that you feel that comes out of gratitude. Gratitude is an action that produces feeling. Okay. In fact, it's been proven as well that if you will simply start a practice of gratitude on a regular basis, and a lot of, uh, a lot of uh, mental health experts encourage us to do something like a gratitude journal, and a gratitude journal is just maybe take uh, every morning uh, to write three things down that you're grateful for every day. 
And according to one expert I read this past week, they said, if you'll do that for each day, three things, just three things you're thankful for each day, even in the midst of some severe discouragement you may be in, in three weeks' time, your entire mood can be changed just by gratitude alone. Because it's a practice that you get involved in. It's something you do. It takes a response on your part, not based upon what you feel. Gratitude is not an emotion. You don't wait till I feel grateful to express gratitude. Most of you have text messaging on your phones, and you'll realize that from time to time, you'll use something called an emoji. You know what an emoji is, right? An emoji, a little smiley face or a sad face where there's no emoji for gratitude. There's an emoji for joy. There's an emoji for, uh, there's, there's, there's little phrases that say thank you, but there's no emoji for gratitude. There's emojis for, the, for what gratitude produces in you, but gratitude is an action. It is something that you and I must do based upon a commitment, not based upon a feeling. To be a grateful person, and today we're going to learn how to do this, There's some things you're going to have to stop doing, and there's some things you're going to have to start doing. It's not going to just show up in your world. If you're going to be a grateful person, there's some things you got to stop leaving here today. How many of you want your basketball to be full of air? Amen? You want to be resilient, right? How many of you want your kids to be resilient? If you want your kids to be resilient and you want to be resilient, you got to get the right amount of the right stuff inside of you. And part of the secret sauce of resiliency, of having the ability to bounce back no matter what life throws your way, part of the secret sauce inside there is the attitude of gratitude. You're not going to have it unless you stop uh, punching holes in your basketball by the wrong actions and you start filling yourself with the right kind of stuff. So there's some things you got to stop and some things you got to start. Say it with me. There's some things I got to stop. Come on with me. Say it with me. There's some things I've got to stop and there's some things I need to start. Come on again. Some things I need to stop and some things I need to start. All of us. All of us. Let's go to the stop first. Let's talk about three things that you need to stop doing today, right now. Don't ever do it again. Unrealistic expectations in your life. Put a stop to it. You're never going to be happy if your, your expectations are always unrealistic. If you expect your spouse to always be loving and kind and the perfect romantic person 24-7, 365, I'm going to tell you, you're not going to be a very grateful person because they're not going to meet your expectations. You're going to be disappointed. You're going to be grumbling and complaining because you had an unrealistic expectation. If you expect life to always go perfect, where did you get the idea that life was supposed to be easy? Where did you get that idea from? It's not true at all. It's an unrealistic expectation that, that we're to go through life and never have any problems. Well, what planet are you on? Okay. A planet that I live on is a planet that has lots of problems. How about you, right? Difficulties and things that we deal with, but we build these unrealistic expectations. Where did you get the idea? Where did you get the idea that you could have everything that you want? You can't have everything that you want. You're never going to have everything that you want. Because as soon as you get what you want, there's something else you want that you haven't gotten. 
When you get that, there's something else you want that you still haven't gotten. There'll always be a chasing of something else in your life. You'll never get everything that you want in life. You will never be anything you want to be. People, just, whatever, just dream it. You can do, do be anything you want to be. No, you can't. I will never be an NBA basketball player. It's just not going to happen. I could wake up every morning. I'm, I'm LeBron James. I'm Steph Curry. I have the ability to take this. I can do this. I can look at myself in the mirror. And they're still not going to put me on the team. I'm 5'8". <laughs> and I'm shrinking. Okay? And I'm not that good. And all that I could, I could declare it all day long. And I'm not going to... See, people get their idea. I can do, I, all these unrealistic expectations. And they wonder why they're disappointed all the time. And why they're grumbling all the time. Because they're not looking realistically at life. Life is hard. Life is difficult. You're going to have problems. Stop thinking that because you have a problem, it's some horrible thing. No, problems are a part of life. They come with life. Even Jesus said, in this world, you're going to have tribulation. You're going to have some problems, but be of good cheer. I've overcome the world. This, I'm going to help you in the process of it. And so adjust your expectations. Get rid. Stop it. Everybody say stop it. Okay. Stop it with your kids. Don't build in your kids this expectation that life should be perfect and everything should go well. They should get everything that they want in life. Sometimes they need not to get what they want just to learn that life is like this. They're not going to get everything that they want in life. And so you got to set it up for your kids or else you're doing them a disservice if you're always trying to give them everything that they want. Okay. Sorry, kids. Okay. I'm helping you. Okay. Parents, you got to wake up to this reality because you'll never be grateful if you have unrealistic expectations. So stop it. Stop it. (laughs) Number two, unfair, untrue comparisons. A lot of our ingratitude comes from the fact that we spend so much of our energy comparing ourselves with other people. We're looking at the clothes they have, the cars they drive, the houses they live in, the vacations they take, the perfect physique that they seem to have, okay? Just run down the list of all the different things that we we measure ourselves against other people and we always come out lacking. And I'm not against social media, but I will tell you that social media has contributed to this severely in our culture. It's created this envy. Let me just tell you something. Just stop. You're never going to have, your life is never going to be like that celebrity you follow on social media. You're never going to go on the vacations they go on. You're not going to go. You don't have the money they have, okay? <laughs> right? You're never going to have a collection of, uh, of amazing 45, 50 cars and, a, and, and, and you know, that dream cars that every guy wants. You're not going to have them. Why? You don't have that much money, okay? Okay? So you're comparing yourself. You know, look at them. Look at what they have. I don't have much. All I have is a 1972 Chevy. I, what, 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 I, look at what they... You, you just compare yourself, and before long, you're always on the negative. And social media is so deceptive anyway because nobody ever puts the bad stuff on social media. They always put the highlight reels of their life on social media. That's what it is. 
And as I've told you before, some of the stuff isn't even true. They're posting pictures of vacations they never took. Okay? <laughs> Just to make you think they took them, okay? And all these perfect meals that people make. And it's like, you don't, you don't do that every day, okay? You made that one time in your life, okay? Right? You post it like you do this every day. You don't do that every day, okay? Are you with me today? So we, we spend all this energy. Do you, do you realize how flat your basketball is getting every time you open up Instagram? And every time you flip over onto Facebook? And every time you start saying, well, my life's not like that. Draining out resiliency from your life. I'm not against social media if you can handle it. Fine, that's great. But if Facebook is robbing your joy, get rid of Facebook, okay? Amen? If Instagram is robbing your joy, get rid of Instagram, okay? I'm not preaching against it. I'm just trying to help you and help your kids because your kids are living that way also. They're oftentimes comparing their lives against other people's lives. And they're wondering, how many likes did I get on this? And how many followers do I have or not have? And before long, their self-worth is being established by all these ridiculously insane ways of measuring whether someone has worth or not. You don't, you don't have worth because you have X amount of followers on any social media platform. You have worth because God says you have worth, okay? That's why you have worth, okay? And your child needs to understand that reality. So stop it. Okay, stop it. Okay, stop unfair, untrue comparisons. And then stop unneeded competition. Well, you got to win at everything. Life isn't a zero-sum game. See, that's the way many of us live. We got to win at everything. And so we win something and we got, oh, I got to win the next thing now. All right. And the worst thing in life is to lose out. You're going to be a loser sometimes, okay? And you have to learn to accept the fact that life comes with ups and downs and you don't need to compete with everyone. This is absolutely draining for your life to be driven to have to win in everything. If you're going to compete with anyone, compete only with yourself, okay? If you want to compete with yourself, that's fine. To be the best version of yourself that you can be, that's valuable. But you don't have to win at everything. See, grateful people are, have the ability to lift up other people instead of tearing them down or always having to conquer them. Amen? Stop it. Okay? Stop the unrealistic expectations. Stop all the comparisons. Stop all the unneeded competition going on in your life. Even at that, you'd be a whole lot happier, would you not? Just stopping those things, right? Are you with me today? Okay. All right. Now we've got to start some things. You ready to get your, your, uh, your key into the ignition to get some things started? Are you ready? Okay. Now I'm going to go over a little bit today because this is an important message, and so uh, don't worry about the clock. It's okay. I promise you. We're going to be out by 3 p.m. this afternoon. No question about it. At least by three, you'll be out. Now, I'm going to just cover four things for you. So uh, give me the permission, if you will, to go over a little bit today. All right? Four things you've got to start doing. Number one, you've got to start intentionally remembering some things. Intentionally remember. First of all, what do you need to remember? I'm going to write it on the board. You need to remember that you are, no matter what you think about the circumstances of your life, this is true. You are blessed. 
You're blessed, okay? No matter what you're going through right now, there's... There are blessings in your life right now. Right now. Back in old school church, we used to sing a hymn called Count Your Many Blessings. Count Your Many Blessings. Name them one by one. Count Your Many Blessings. See what God has done. It's amazing when you sit back and you start counting your blessings instead of looking at what you don't have, looking at what you do have, instead of looking at how negative life is, finding the positive aspects of life, and suddenly now I'm going to intentionally remember some things that I've tended to forget, and I'm bringing it back to my memory. I'm going to force myself to think about what I need to be thinking about. I'm going to take captive my thoughts and make them obedient to Christ. David, the Old Testament psalmist, he was going through a very difficult time in his life. His son Absalom was trying to take the kingdom away from him. So David had to flee from Jerusalem in threat of his own life, wondering if he was going to make it or not. His son potentially would kill him to take the throne from him. And most scholars, at least many scholars, I'll perhaps better phrase it that way, many scholars believe that as David was leaving Jerusalem and going out into the wilderness to run away from Absalom, who was going to kill him, David wrote some words that were words of intentional remembering. And look at the words most likely that David wrote. You know them well. The Lord is my shepherd. I lack nothing. He makes me to lie down in green pastures. He leads me beside quiet waters. He refreshes my soul. He guides me along the right paths for his name's sake. Even though I walk through the darkest valley, the old translation says, through the valley of the shadow of death. Now, he was actually going through the Kidron Valley on the way out of Jerusalem. Even though I walk through the darkest valley, I will fear no evil, for you are with me. Your rod and your staff, they comfort me. You prepare a table before me in the presence of my enemies. You anoint my head with oil. My cup overflows. Surely your goodness and love will follow me all the days of my life, and I will dwell in the house of the Lord forever. David was not writing this at a time of feeling great, at a time when life was all going well. David was writing this most likely at a time when things were very difficult, but he said, I am going to remember something in the midst of what I'm going through. I will remember that the Lord is my shepherd. I have everything that I need. I'm going to remember something in the midst of this, even though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death. I'm not going to fear any evil because God is with me. My emotions are telling me something else. My mind is trying to tell me something else, but I choose what I'm going to remember. I'm going to remember who's with me and who my God is. Says so you're going through life. If you want to be grateful, there needs to be some intentional remembering, and then there needs to be some intentional reframing. To reframe something, when you think about framing, think about a picture. And a picture, you can take a, a picture and make it beautiful just by the right frame you put it in, right? Put the right matting there and the right framing. And suddenly, what was a very dull picture comes alive because you framed it well. And a lot of times when you and I are going through life, we frame it so negatively. We just think, so, this, this is terrible. This is the worst thing that ever happened. This is horrible. And we frame it that way. And so when we look at it, all we see is the negative. You need to learn how to put a good frame about, around everything you go through. Reframe it, okay? Paul learned to do this. I mentioned a few moments ago that Paul, when 
he was in ministry, he oftentimes was persecuted for preaching the gospel. He ended up in prison many times, but he framed his experiences to the degree that he was able to write beautiful letters of encouragement to others, even when he was going through difficulties. And we see a secret to this in Romans 8, 28, in terms of what Paul believed. He said, and we know that in all things God works for the good of those who love him and have been called according to his purpose. That's the framing that you need for your life. When you're going through difficulties, say, God, I don't understand it, but I know that you're going to, I'm going to put a frame around it. And the frame I'm going to put around it, I know that you work all things together for the good of those that love you. Joseph understood this when his brothers came back to him in Genesis chapter 50, and they were afraid that Joseph was going to kill him because they had They'd sold him into slavery years earlier, and he says, you know, you meant it for evil, but God meant it for good. He put a frame on it. So reframe the experiences of your life. Number three, the third thing, you need to have some intentional rejoicing. Notice there's a word that goes in front of all four of these. It's the word intentional. You got to do it. You got to make a choice to do it. Intentional rejoicing is a choice to rejoice, a choice to praise. Hebrews 13, 15, therefore let us offer through Jesus a continual, notice this, interesting, a continual sacrifice of praise. I'll come back to that in a moment. To God proclaiming our allegiance to his name. You know, there are times in life when you just don't feel like praising. There are times in life when it seems as though things are difficult. You don't want to be grateful because you don't like what you're going through. Even in those moments, we're to come to God with a sacrifice of praise. It's not easy to do it. It's not the simplest thing for us to sort of in some way motivate ourselves to praise God, but it's the right thing to do, to continually make a sacrifice of praise to God. It requires nothing of your energies or your capacities to praise God when everything's going well. When everything's going well, it's not hard to praise God. When the Holy Ghost is all over you and you got goosebumps on top of your goosebumps and you're, you got a quiver in your liver because the Holy Ghost is working in your life and everything's happy and everything's joy. It's not hard to praise God in times like that. Let me tell you, when it's hard, it's hard when you're going through a difficulty. It's hard when you're facing a challenge. It's hard when things seem to be uh, oriented toward the lack instead of the plenty. It's hard in those moments, but that's when you say, I will rejoice anyway. I'm going to intend intentionally praise God. I'm going to intentionally raise my voice and offer to him a sacrifice of my praise to him. No, it's not easy. No, I don't even feel like it, but it doesn't matter what I feel like. I know I need some air in my basketball, okay? And I know that praise puts some air in my basketball, amen? Last thing, intentional repeating. You need, to, you need to develop the right kind of loop in your life. Remember I talked about the bad loop? The right loop is to not just start rejoicing, but to repeat it. To make it a part of how you live your life every day. And that's why Paul wrote these words, rejoice in the Lord always. I will say it again. Do what? Rejoice in the Lord always. I will say it again. Rejoice. Get the right loop going in your life. Don't just do it for a little while. Make it a part of how you live your life every day. Dear ones, if you and I want to be resilient, to have the bounce in life, to be able to bounce back, to have the pressures of life not damage or or deform us, 
and we want our kids to be able to bounce back in life, we need to learn and we need to teach them the principle of gratitude. Think thanks. Would you bow your heads with me together in prayer? Father, we're grateful today for your word. We appreciate the fact that we've just been allowed today to come to your house to study. Lord, we believe that you've said something to us today that will help us to, to change the way we're living our lives. Forgive us of all the grumbling that we do and all the ingratitude that we so easily fall prey to. And I'm asking, Lord, that you'll help us to have renewed minds, that we'll begin to have an attitude of praise and thanksgiving to you, and it'll be something that forms a new habit pattern of thinking in our lives. And instead of orienting toward the negative that we would orient, it, orient toward you and to all the blessings that you bring our way. Seal this word in our heart by your Holy Spirit. We ask it in Jesus' name. I would like to close today by giving you an opportunity to ask Jesus to be the Lord of your life. Would you pray with me right now? Right where you are, just simply bow your head with me and I'm going to give you a prayer to pray and you can simply speak this prayer out, whisper this prayer out and from the sincerity of your heart, call upon God and I promise you that He will hear and answer you. So let's pray together. Start by simply whispering the name Jesus. Let there come uh, from your heart just the declaration of His name. Say, Jesus. I know that, that I am a sinner, that I have fallen short with you. I'm sorry for all of my sins. Jesus, I believe in you. I believe that you are God's Son. I believe that you are the Savior of the world. I believe that you died on the cross for my sins. And I believe that you rose from the grave, that you are alive today. Now pray these words. Say, Lord Jesus, come into my heart. Come into my life. Forgive me of my sins. Give me a new start in you. I commit my life to you. In Jesus' name, amen. Now, if you prayed that prayer with me, I want to encourage you with a promise from God's Word that says that when we call upon God's name, we call upon the Son of God, there is salvation that comes to our lives. He changes us from the inside out, and you become a new creation. All things pass away. All things become new. And that's exactly what has happened to you today. Your next step really is to make sure that you get into a good Bible-believing church. And you begin to study God's Word, get God's Word in you, and to make sure that you get a copy of the Bible if you don't have one and begin to read it. Spend some time every day in prayer. And I would encourage you also to check out the resources on our website that will help you to get going in your relationship with Jesus. You can find them at church-redeemer.org. Get those into your hands. Get started in your new life with Jesus Christ. Thanks again for joining us today. May God bless you, and we look forward to seeing you next time.